0: It's good to be back. I feel like I haven't seen you in months. Actually, it's almost been a month and a bit, hasn't it? All right. So last week, we saw Nehemiah leading by example. And he called out those that were taking advantage of the poor Uh, We also saw that Nehemiah could call them out because he himself had kept his testimony clean. Uh, No one could accuse him of living an extravagant life. He never demanded anything from the people. Instead, he did just the opposite. He helped the poor with his own funds, didn't he? Uh, He was a true servant of God. And at the end of Nehemiah 5, he prayed, Remember me, my God, for good. According to all that I have done for this people. And why is this important? Because God sees everything. He sees the heart. He sees the motive in everything we do and say. There's nothing that uh, we can fool God with. And so in chapter 6, we now see that Nehemiah getting into more trouble. Or actually, better put, uh, Trouble is coming to him. Amen. But we see God's faithfulness coming into play once more. So let's pray before we get into his word. Heavenly Father, we are excited to see what's going to happen next, Lord. In the story of Nehemiah, you have shown yourself to be so faithful to him. And we have every reason to believe that you will be faithful to us just the same. And so we thank you so much for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace, and especially that the love that you pour out on us. So as we go through this scripture, would you anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab And the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So let's recap who these guys are. Sanballat, boo, he's a Moabite from Samaria. Samaria. He's a non-Jew. So just so you know where this is at, I I think there is a pointer on here. Is there? Let me see. Oops. No. Pointer. There it is. Ooh. I have power here. Okay. All right. He's a Moabite. So it's right here. This is the Dead Sea coming up through here. And this this whole thing here is Israel. So that's where he's from. And Moabites were a tribe descended from Moab. He is the son of Lot, born from an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter. You remember that story, you know? Uh, Lot's wife had been turned into stone, and now it's just him and his daughters, and the, the daughters did something bad, got them drunk, and the rest is history, as they say. But anyway, so... A son was born named Moab, and in this case, uh, Sanballat was a Samaritan, but he wasn't a good Samaritan. He was a bad Samaritan, and we were introduced to him in chapter 2 when he was greatly disturbed that somebody would dare come and actually care for the Jews. And so he's been starting trouble uh, in, in being in the middle of trouble from the very beginning. Next, we have Tobiah. Now, he is an Ammonite. Not that Ammonite. These Ammonites are cool, okay? But he's an Ammonite for Ammon. Okay, and I'll get my pointer out again. Whoops. All right, Ammon, right here. So just north. And so they're not supposed to be getting along, but, you know, as they say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's why these two shenanigans uh, got together. Now, they were descended from Ben Ami, who is descended from Lot's incestuous relationship with his youngest daughter. Yeah. So both of these guys have questionable heritage. Uh, Tobiah was upset with Nehemiah because Tobiah was actually at one time in control of the storerooms, and he was kind of skimming off the top. You know, today we would call that embezzling, and that's basically what he was doing. When Nehemiah came, he said, none of that. You know, we have a real important purpose for the storerooms, and so... No, you can't do that anymore. So he's got an ax to grind with Nehemiah also. So next we have the the Arab, Geshem, the Arab. And the Arabs are believed to be mostly descendants of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and Sarah's maid, Hagar, although not all, all of them. And so all of these guys, so to speak, had an ax to grind with the Jewish people. They hated the Jews. I mean, and this hatred is even prevalent today. That shows you how deeply ingrained it is in their culture. And so they would come against Nehemiah any way they can. And so they say, hey, come, you know, come to the the plains of, oh, no. You know, we can have tea and crumpets, you know, and just hang out, you know. And so, um, but it was a long trip. You know, you think it sounds, you know, harmless enough, but look where it's at. There's Jerusalem. He has to go all the way to Ono, 37 miles. That's just, you know, that's not a little jaunt down the, to the corner store, is it? And so he had to go a long way to meet together. But Nehemiah saw through the treachery and came, with, came up with a good reason not to go. So he says in verse 3, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? In other words, I'm busy. I'm doing important work there. I don't need to be distracted. Then verse 4 says, but they sent me this message four times. They were really insistent, weren't they? He says, and I answered them in the same manner. And so they were probably getting frustrated because their evil plan wasn't working. They're going, no, you need to come here. And then verse 5. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. I feel sorry for this poor servant. You realize this isn't the fifth trip of 37 miles. He had to have been really irritated by now. He's going, please, please, you know, come with me. But this time he has a letter And it specifically says an open letter. And the reason why this is important, because most of the time when it was between two officials, they would seal it with a wax seal. Nobody was supposed to break it open. You know, this is like opening the mail. That's not yours. You just don't do it. And so because it was an open letter, anybody could read it. So this servant, he could read it. Anybody he meets on the road can read it. And they're going, hey, look, I've got a letter. You know, look what this Nehemiah guy is doing. So it's kind of like spreading it all over the Internet. It's basically what's going on. You know, all this scandal and slander. But the the sole purpose was to start rumors. And this one is a big one. Listen to this. In it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says... That you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall so that you may be their king. So that accusation gets pretty clear. And then it gets even worse. Verse 7. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. You know, it's our duty. You know, we have to tell the king this. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. All right, still wants wants him to, to hike that 37 miles. You know, remember, they don't have cars. This would be on foot. And they were trying to get Nehemiah to come to them. You know, do that. Like if you were going two miles an hour, which is a common speed. You know, when I walk, I'm probably going two miles an hour. That would take me 18 hours. That means you have to stay the night somewhere on the road. And, you know, hey, if some robbers should come and, and somehow you get killed in the process of your travels, then, hey, you know, our problem's solved, isn't it? So that's what they were trying. It seems like that's what they're trying to do. They want to get them away from Jerusalem, away from the protection of the city, and get distracted and go on this little journey. But why would Nehemiah even be tempted to come? Well, if King Artaxerxes caught wind of this, he just might execute Nehemiah. That's the problem. So to unscrupulous guys, this is a win-win situation. Either we kill him on the road or... We get the king to kill him They're thinking, oh, we've got them now. You know, we've got them trapped. But they were going after the wrong guy. And this guy had God on his side. So verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done. But you invent, excuse me, but you invent them in your own heart. In other words, you made that up. Verse 9. For they are... They were all trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done so. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Uh, The New Living Translation says it this way. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. The threat didn't work. Why? Why? Why wouldn't it work? Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. God had given Nehemiah a purpose for being there. That shows us that the faith that Nehemiah had in God, and that was so important. So instead of becoming afraid or letting that fear take hold, he worked even harder. You know, I know me. It's like, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well get my work done before I die. You know, and I'm doing God's will, so he will take care of me. He will look after me. And so it kind of backfired on these, these guys uh, to try to make him afraid so that he would stop the work. Because that was the whole point. They wanted him to stop. So we do see persecuted Christians making this choice even in the world today. That if you keep spreading the gospel, you will lose your life. But Nehemiah's enemies were far spread Verse 10, afterwards I came to the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah, I'm massacring these names as I usually do, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. You see, he had, you know, like sleeper cells kind of, you know, to try to trap Uh, poor Nehemiah, and he said, let us meet together, there's those words again, oh, let us meet together, you know, we'll have tea and crumpets, in the house of God, within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Now, this was no small suggestion, Shemaiah was asking him to go inside the temple, which is reserved for only for Levitical priests. To do so would be against God's law. So this guy was trying to get Nehemiah, and mind you, this is a Jew. This is probably a Levite, a priest. That's the only one that could have access to the temple. He's going, come with me, me, Nehemiah. We're going to go and hide out in the temple. He's trying to get him to sin against God. If he can get him to sin against God then that will cause a rebellion amongst the Jewish people because they know this is a sin against God. And so they're thinking, okay, now we got him. We'll threaten him. We'll say that there's people coming to kill him. And so, hey, let's go hide in the temple. And he's going, how can I do this? Verse 11, said, such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So we see that Nehemiah is going, absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to do this. He refused to fall for that trap also. Because who knows what awaits him at the temple. And they say that this guy is like an informant. There was deception everywhere. Verse 12. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And in other words, he felt this, this, uh, this Shemiah character, he's going, oh, don't kill me, because they were probably threatening to kill him. Go, oh, don't kill me. I, I'll, I'll get Nehemiah for you. I'll get him to sin. I'll set him up. I'll try to you know, do something for you. And they're going, okay. So he was like an informant. He was a spy. So it was made apparent that in his fear, Shemiah agreed to try to get Nehemiah to come into the temple and to sin against God. Then verse 13, For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. So again, we see them trying to set Nehemiah up, because if they could get him to sin against God, they've got him. And that's an important Lesson for us, isn't it? If somebody can get us to destroy our own witness, if they can get us to compromise, then our ministry can be destroyed. We've seen it in many pastors today. Then verse verse 14 says, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who, would have, who have made me afraid. We don't know who this Noadiah, only that she is a prophetess. Uh, so she's a woman that's kind of involved in all this. So, you know, there's just so much uh, uh, intrigue going on here. I mean, this thing could be a miniseries. But, um, but we also, <laughs> right, uh, we also see the humanness in Nehemiah. He says, who have made me afraid? Who wouldn't be afraid through all of this? Oh my goodness, that would terrify me. So in other words, these words had a great impact on him. But he stayed strong and did not cave into them. And he did not sin against God either. But you can tell that he had some righteous anger going on there. You know, he says, get them, God. You know, it's like, you know, sick him. Yeah, yeah. So you know it. it, it you always get your comeuppance. So always remember that. So our lesson for today is the enemy's tactics. The first one that he they tried to do, the enemies, our enemy, is to try to get Nehemiah to compromise. How many pastors today have lost their ministries because of compromise? How many Christians today have lost their witness because of compromise? They begin to look like the world. They don't look like anything special. So people aren't attracted to their God if they look just like the rest of the world. I would even go on to say that if you ask them, they never intended for the compromise to go as far as it did. It just happened, they would say. I've talked to people like that. I didn't think it would go this far. I didn't think that this adulterous relationship would go that far. At first, we were just having coffee together, and then we would talk about, you know, really cool subjects, and, you know, I just felt this bonding, and you just see the progression until suddenly their, their families are destroyed. They never intended for it to happen. It just happened because they let the enemy get his foot in the door. And so that's what compromise does. James one fourteen and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Let's look at the progression here. Temptation comes from our own desires, not God's desires. These are ours. The temptation for Nehemiah would be to lay all this strife to rest. You know, he's got to be tired by this time. Tired of the constant battle with these guys. It's like, well, maybe if I do meet with them, maybe, you know, we can bury the hatchet. You know, but of course they say, oh yeah, let's bury the hatchet, but we're going to keep the handle sticking up. You know, that's what oftentimes people do. And perhaps we can finally have peace. That is such a big temptation when you're weary of the fight, isn't it? When you just get tired of fighting, it's like, I just want peace. And we all want that. But you don't want to have peace that isn't real. And that's what these guys were offering. And Nehemiah knew that he couldn't co labor with these guys. These guys were pra- pagans, and God said not to dwell with them. Share the gospel with them, of course. Share God's love with them, of course. Marry them or get into business with them or co-labor with them? Of course not. Let's look at Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Very important. All you ladies out there, if you're not married and you're looking at a non-Christian guy, this should scare you. All right. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's in all areas of our lives. and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, That I will, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow, a lot of this is taken from Leviticus. Nehemiah knew this. He knew this. That's why he says, I'm not going to do business with these guys. I am not going to be unequally yoked with pagans. And... He knew that to do so would compromise what he knows God's will is. God says, I've got your back. But, you know, sometimes it's interesting. It's like, yeah, I know God has it, and he's promised it. He's always going to be faithful. But you know what? I'm just going to help him a little bit. Uh, Years ago, uh, Jeff and I were trying to buy a home. And we didn't have enough money for the down payment. And so... An unscrupulous uh, loan officer, she says, well, I have a third party that will loan you the money. And we're going, wow, that sounds pretty cool. You know, all righty. You know, done. We'll just have to pay that loan back along with this loan. We figured it's a done deal. We sat down. This is, we sit down to sign all the papers to close the loan and to get the home right and we're reading through this and it there's this one statement that says i have not borrowed against this home except for this loan and i asked the loan officer i'm going um what if i mean we're borrowing the money for the down payment she goes well if you sign if you if you say yes you've borrowed the money you won't get the loan you won't get the house and it's like wow that was like devastating because We knew we couldn't sign it because we would be lying. But, you know what, there's that, you know, little devil and the angel on your shoulder. You know, if we say that we're not borrowing money, then we'll get the house. I mean, after all, God wants us to have a house, right, you know? And, you know, I'm sure this is God's blessing. But, you know, what? the bottom line was, was, you know, we can't lie. We cannot do this thing. And so we had to walk away from the whole thing. And it was kind of devastating. But, you know, as I look back, I'm going, I am so glad I didn't compromise. Because I would have have sinned against God. I would have been trying to help God out. And he was saying, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. Just a few months later, we were missionaries. That's why he didn't want us buying the house, but, you know, and we're just pushing this and pushing this, and we're, we were so tempted, but at the very end, you know what, God was faithful, and he really made it, uh, he impressed upon our hearts that, no, you cannot do this thing and lie. But see, sometimes we want to help God out, don't we? That's what compromise does. So, Nehemiah knew that if he compromised with these guys, it would lead him down the wrong path. So another enemy's tactic, slander. Now, the fifth time the enemy came to Nehemiah, they came with that open letter. And it was a threat to do, you know, to expose wrongdoing on Nehemiah's part. Of course, that's all it was, was made up stuff. Uh, Nehemiah never was, had any inclination to become the king of Judah. You know, it was just a fairy tale. And Nehemiah let God be his defense. He denied it. Yes, but that's all he did. But this tactic has been used in the church even today. You know, where if the enemy wants to take out someone, all you have to do is just bring out an accusation. It could be completely unfounded. But how many of us will will look at it online? Um, I'm reminded of uh, a recent post. Uh, in, in the internet about Chick-fil-A. You probably have read it, how, you know, they're? Uh, oh, I forgot what it was. They had decided to not fund certain Christian charities. And, of course, people just started gossiping and slandering. And it's like, you know what? Um, having been in ministry for a long time, God impresses upon us who we support and who we should not support. And so they had every right not to support these guys. But the slander was saying that, oh, they're caving in to the LGBTQ people, you know, and they're doing this and they're doing that. And all this gossip and slander was going around. And they finally said, you know what? No. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the fact that these charities don't need our help. Other charities do. But oh my goodness, you should have heard all the gossip and the slander. And they were just tearing down these, you know, in Chick-fil-A, we depend on them a lot. You know, we do our uh, our mission uh, fundraisers and stuff there. So, you know, it's like, wow, wow, we... Christians are the only one that seem to eat their young, you know? It's like, (laughs) what is going on here? Isn't it true, though? We can be so ruthless. Be careful. Slander hurts. I've been, you know, the the victim of that, you know, and it really does hurt. So if an open letter from some sand ballot was spread among the people, the Nehemiah's name would have been sullied. And that had to have hurt him a lot. Because when you go through great lengths, as we've already seen him do, I mean, this guy is a real godly guy. You know, he gives of his own funds to support the people. Everything his, he does is, is forthright, you know. And here are these two Yehoos. They're going, okay, we're just going to slaughter his character. And that could be so difficult to not get mad. So he probably felt as though he had to defend his honor. But he had restraint. He just denied the accusation, and then he let God be his defense. You know, a good, someone of good character, people know that. And when you start you know, asking people, what do you know about Nehemiah? Would he do such a thing? And they'd go, are you kidding me? I've never seen him do anything that even hints at that. And so God actually impresses upon everybody else's heart to stand up to him. You know, that's what our God does. Bible commentator Warren Rearsby said it like this regarding this passage. Christian leaders must know how to handle faults accusations, vicious letters, unfounded press reports, and gossip. Otherwise, these devilish weapons will so upset them that they will lose their perspective and spend so much time defending themselves that they will neglect their work. Nehemiah didn't make that mistake. He simply denied the reports, prayed to God for strength, and went back to work. He knew that his character was such that no honest person would believe the false reports. If we take care of our character, we can trust God to take care of our reputation. Amen. So God is able to take care of our reputation. That is such a good bit of advice here. Isaiah 54:17 tells us, "No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord." and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. All right, our next tactic, threats. That's what we got um, from uh, this, you know, oh, well, we're going to kill you now because all of our other shenanigans didn't work. So now we're just going to take you out. Uh, Whether they meant the threat or not isn't important, uh, but we do see that it does have an effect on us when our lives are threatened. God has given us uh, that, uh, that ability to fear for our own lives, and it is, uh, it's important. But in this case, Nehemiah says, I know that God will be my salvation. He will save me from all these guys. But most of us don't have threats on our lives, but I know it is a very effective tool of the enemy. Um, I have counseled women who... Have been threatened that if they take themselves and their children to church, that their husbands will beat them up. You know, and it's like, what do you do with that? And so they're like, what do I do, Lord? You know, what do I do? How, I want to go to church, and you know, it, it's a lot more complicated than that. But um, I know missionaries also whose lives were threatened if they continue to preach the gospel. We see it all the time. Were they superhuman and not afraid? Of course not. Most were terrified. I'm sure Nehemiah was more than a little concerned. And so this false prophet guy actually said that there were people coming to kill him. And he needed to hide. And I'm sure Nehemiah was a little tempted. Ooh, should I? If I go to, if I go to the temple, I'll be safe. Nobody will find me there. But he had faith in God and he withstood the threats. After all, what does Paul say? To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he he believed. So the last of our enemy's tactics, fear. Fear can stop you in your tracks, can't it? It is an effective, very effective tool of the enemy. Perhaps one of the best. Adolf Hitler says, mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, panic. These are our weapons. Evil has not changed their game plan. Why? Because it works. Think about it. Think about a time that you were really fearful. Were you not confused? Did your emotions kind of run rampant for a while? I know mine can. Afraid to make any decision or panicking so that you make a bad decision? We've all been there. I know I've been there. We have let that fear drive the car instead of letting God take the wheel. But how do you fight fear? In the moment, how do you control it? I think that's like the million-dollar question, isn't it? Remind yourself of what you know about God. Always go back to Scripture. Memorize these things. Make it so that they are a part of you, so that whenever you're confronted with fear, you think of these things. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Timothy one seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Romans 8:38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remind yourselves, memorize these things. These are your weapons, ladies. If you don't avail yourself of the weapons that you have in your arsenal, yeah, you're going to live fearful lives, So the answer to the fear remedy, this is not something that we can do on our own. We must depend on God. In our worksheets today, it says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When you acknowledge that you're weak and you can't do this and you depend on the Lord, that's when you're strong because you have God's strength. We can depend on him because he loves us and only wants the best for us. So remember the tactics of the enemy. Compromise, slander, or the fear of slander, threats, fear. These are very good tactics that he uses, so be aware of them. Recognize these when the trials come, because they will come. And you will be overwhelmed at times. I love what David says when he was overwhelmed. Psalms, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Psalms 73 Starting in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. Haven't you ever felt that way? For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut through the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Have you ever felt that way? I have. Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So he admits that you know he can't voice this to anyone but God. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Wow, when I read this, I go, Lord, I have felt this way. These could have been my words to God. It's like, why are you letting these evil people prosper? And then the Lord always reminds me, they will get what's coming to them. Just like what Nehemiah prayed, isn't it? He says, remember them. Do to them what they're doing to me. But know that you're not alone. If King David can voice these kind of words, you can bet we've all thought them. Right? And at the end, David did understand. He understood that God sees everything, every heartache. He really does hear each tear that falls, doesn't he? Nehemiah understood who his God is. His God is mighty. His God is just. His God is sovereign. His God is loving. That is who our God is. That was true in Nehemiah's time, and it is true in our time today, and forever. Amen. I'll leave you with Isaiah forty-one thirteen, For I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what amazing words you give us. Lord, your, your word gives us strength. Your truths give us strength. Help us to always go to your word when we are struggling. Not to depend on our own uh, strengths, but to depend on your strength, Lord. You will be our defender. We want to be like Nehemiah. And when things come against us, when slander or heartache or difficulties come against us, Lord, you will be our defender. You will be everything that we need during this time. And as we discuss this further in our groups, Lord, would you just make your word come alive so that each one of us can take home something precious, something solid that we can hang on to. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.